Chapter Twenty Four of Fenton's Quest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Fenton's Quest by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Four. Tormented by Doubt. The long homeward walk gave Gilbert ample leisure for reflection upon his interview with Sir David, a very unsatisfactory interview at the best. Yes, the conviction that the man had wronged him was no other than his own familiar friend, had flashed upon him with a new force as the baronet answered his questions about John Holbrook. The suspicion which had entered his mind after he had left the lonely farmhouse near Crosber, and which he had done his uttermost to banish, as if it had been a suggestion of the evil one, came back to him to-day with a form and reality which it had lacked before. It seemed no longer a vague fancy, a dark, unwelcome thought that bordered on folly. It had taken a new shape altogether, and appeared to him almost a certainty. Sir David's refusal to make any direct denial of the fact seemed to confirm his suspicion. Yet it was, on the other hand, just possible that Sir David, finding him on a false scent, should have been willing to let him follow it and that the real offender should be screened by this suspicion of John Saltram. But then arose in his mind a doubt that had perplexed him more sorely for a long time. If his successful rival had been indeed a stranger to him, what reason could there be for so much mystery in the circumstances of the marriage? And why should Marian have so carefully avoided telling him anything about her husband? That this friend, having betrayed him, should shrink from the revelation of this falsehood, should adopt any underhand course to avoid discovery seemed natural enough yet to believe this was to think meanly of the man whom he had loved so well whom he had confided in so implicitly until the arising of this cruel doubt he had long ago when the first freshness of his boyish delusions faded away before the penetrating clear daylight of reality he had known long ago that his friend was not faultless that except in that one faithful alliance with himself john saltram had been fickle wayward vacillating unstable and inconstant true to no dream of his youth no ambition of his early manhood content to drop one purpose after another until his life was left without any exalted aim but gilbert had fancied his friend's nature was still a noble one in spite of the comparative failure of his life it was very difficult for him to imagine it possible that his friend could act falsely and ungenerously could steal his betrothed from him and keep the secret of his guilt pretending to sympathize with the jilted lover all the while but though mr fenton told himself at one moment that this was impossible his thoughts travelled back to the same point immediately afterwards and the image of john saltram arose before him as that of his hidden foe he remembered the long autumn days which he and his friend had spent with marian those unclouded utterly happy days which he looked back upon now with a kind of wonder they had been so much together marian so bright and fascinating in her innocent enjoyment of the present brighter and happier just then than she had ever seemed to him before gilbert remembered with a bitter pang he had been completely unsuspicious at the time untroubled by one doubtful thought but it appeared to him now that there had been a change in marian from the time of his friend's coming a new joyousness and vivacity a keener delight in the simple pleasures of their daily life and withal a fitfulness a tendency to change from gaiety to thoughtful silence that he had not remarked in her before was it strange if john saltram had fallen in love with her 
was it possible to see her daily in all the glory of her girlish loveliness made doubly bewitching by the sweetness of her nature the indescribable charm of her manner was it possible to be with her often as john saltram had been and not love her gilbert fenton had thought of his friend as utterly impregnable to any such danger as a man who had spent all his stock of tender emotion long ago and who looked upon matrimony as a transaction by which he might mend his broken fortunes that this man should fall a victim to the same subtle charm which had subjugated himself was a possibility that never occurred to gilbert's mind in this happy period of his existence he wanted his friend's approval of his choice he wished to see his passion justified in the eyes of the man whom it was his habit to regard in some wise as a superior creature and it had been a real delight to him to hear mr saltram's warm praises of marian looking back at the past to-day from a new point of view he wondered at his own folly what was more natural than that that john saltram should have found his doom as he found it unthought of undreamed of swift or fatal no it was difficult for him to believe that marian who had perhaps never really loved him who had been induced to accept him by his own pertinacity and her uncle's eager desire for the match should find a charm and a power in john saltram that had been wanting in himself he had seen too many instances of his friend's influence over men and women to doubt his ability to win this innocent inexperienced girl had he set himself to win her he recalled with a bitter smile how his informants had all described his rival in a disparaging tone as unworthy of so fair a bride and he knew that it was precisely those qualities which these people were unable to appreciate that constituted the subtle charm by which john saltram influenced others the rugged power and grandeur of that dark face which vulgar critics denounced as plain and unattractive a rare fascination of a manner that varied from an extreme reserve to a wild reckless vivacity the magic of the deep full voice with its capacity for the expression of every shade of emotion these were attributes to be passed over and ignored by the vulgar yet to exercise a potent influence upon sensitive sympathetic natures how that poor little anglo-indian widow loves him without any effort to win or hold her affection on his side gilbert said to himself as he walked back to lidford in the darkening november afternoon brooding always on the one subject which occupied all his thoughts and can i doubt his power to supersede me if he cared to do so if he really loved marian as he has never loved mrs branston what shall i do go to him at once and tell him my suspicion tax him broadly with treachery and force him to a direct confession or denial shall i do this or shall i bide my time and wait and watch with dull dogged patience till i can collect some evidence of his guilt yes let it be so if he has been base enough to do me this great wrong mean enough to steal my betrothed under a false name and to keep the secret of his wrong-doing at any cost of lies and deceit let him go on to the end let him act out the play to the last and when i bring his falsehood home to him as i must surely do sooner or later yes if he is capable of deceiving me he shall continue the lie to the last he shall endure all the infamy of his false position and then after a pause he said to himself at the end if my suspicions are confirmed i shall have lost all i have ever valued in life since my mother died my plighted wife and the one chosen friend whose companionship could make existence pleasant to me god grant that this fancy of mine is as baseless as sir david forrester declared it to be god grant that i may never find a secret enemy in john saltram
Tossed about thus on a sea of doubts, Mr. Fenton returned to Lidford House, where he was expected to be bright and cheerful, and entertain his host and hostess with the freshest gossip of the London world. He did make a great effort to keep up the show of cheerfulness at the dinner-table, but he felt that his sister's eyes were watching him with a pitiless scrutiny, and he knew that the attempt was an ignominious failure. When Honest Martin was snoring in his easy-chair before the drawing-room fire, with the red light shining upon his round, healthy countenance, Mrs. Lister beckoned her brother over to her side of the hearth, where she had an embroidery frame, whereupon was stretched some grand design in Berlin wool-work, to which she devoted herself every now and then with a great show of industry. She had been absorbed in a profound calculation of the stitches upon the canvas and on the colored pattern before her until this moment but she laid aside her work with a solemn air when gilbert went over to her and he knew at once what was coming sit down gilbert she said and her brother dropped into a chair by her side with a faint sigh of resignation i want to talk to you seriously as a sister ought to talk to a brother without any fear of offending i am very sorry to see that you have not yet forgotten that wicked ungrateful marian nowell who told you i have not forgotten her your own face gilbert it's no use for you to put on a pretense of being cheerful and light-hearted with me i know you too well to be deceived by that kind of thing i could see how absent-minded you were all dinner-time in spite of your talk you can't hoodwink an affectionate sister i don't wish to hoodwink you my dear mr fenton answered quietly or to affect a happiness which i do not feel any more than i wish to make a parade of my grief it is natural for an englishman to be reticent on such matters but I do not mind owning to you that Marian Knoll is unforgotten by me, and that the loss of her will have an enduring influence upon my life. And having said as much as that, Bell, I must request that you will not expatiate any more upon this poor girl's breach of faith. I have forgiven her long ago, and I shall always regard her as the purest and dearest of women. What? You can hold her up as a paragon of perfection after she has thrown you over in the most heartless manner? upon my word gilbert i have no common patience with such folly your weakness in this affair from first to last has been positively deplorable i am sorry you disapprove of my conduct bell but it is not a very pleasant subject don't you think we may as well avoid it now and henceforward oh very well gilbert the lady exclaimed with an offended air of course if you choose to exclude me from your confidence i must submit but I do think it rather hard that your only sister should not be allowed to speak of a business that concerns you so nearly. What good can arise out of any discussion of this subject, Bell? You think me weak and foolish, granted that I am both. You cannot cure me of my weakness or my folly. And am I never to hope that you will find someone else, better worthy of your regard than Marian Noel? Fear not, Bell, for me there is no one else." Mrs. Lister breathed a profound sigh, and resumed the counting of her stitches. Yet, perhaps, after all, it was better that her brother should cherish the memory of this unlucky attachment. It would preserve him from the hazard of any imprudent alliance in the future, and leave his fortune free to descend by and by to the juvenile Listers. Isabella was not a particularly mercenary person, but she was a woman of the world, and had an eye to the future of her aggrandizement of her children she was very kind and considerate to gilbert after this carefully avoiding any further allusions to his lost love and taking all possible pains to make his visit pleasant to him she was so affectionate and cordial and seemed so really anxious for him to stay that he could not in common decency hurry back to town quite so soon as he intended he prolonged his visit to the end of that week 
and then to the beginning of the next and when he did at last find himself free to return to london the second week was nearly ended end of chapter twenty four recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com